Hi, everyone. It's Nika, the founder of Urban Remedy, welcoming you to the You Are Love podcast, inspiring health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. Welcome to part two of our interview with Dr. Robert Lustig. I love um, in your book how you talked about, um, I don't think you use the word root cause, but I, I can't remember the exact word you use, but in medicine, you know, are we looking at, you know, the causative factor of disease in the body and like from Chinese medicine it, standpoint, it's the same thing. We're always looking for the root of the problem and to keep people in homeostasis. And you write about how, you know, Western medicine and Western science isn't really focused on root cause. It's more focused on, you know, a pharmaceutical solution. Can you talk briefly about that? Yeah, 80% of medical education is under, underwritten by big pharma. What else do I need to tell you? Again, I'm like, that should be illegal. I mean, it's such a conflict of interest. It's actually shocking. And when people, um, you know, recently people have been talking about, um, you know, that we don't have a healthcare system, we have a sick care system. And people are not empowered to understand that their bodies are healing machines and how to, you know, that we are really, and that's part of the reason I started Urban Remedy with, you know, all, most of our food is very low glycemic and colorful and, and fresh and organic. And so, you know, cause a lot of people don't know how to eat like that. And part of it is a cultural thing, you know, especially if you live in middle America and you go out, like people are just used to eating like that. And it's weird to be eating like a lots of fruits and vegetables and things like that. And so, it's, it's so sad that this is the culture that we live in because so many people are suffering. Well, there's one other piece to the puzzle that we haven't discussed, and it's actually perhaps the most important piece. And you, you just mentioned it in um, passing. You said fruits and vegetables. Okay. Fruits and vegetables are not the issue. Fiber right. is the issue. Okay. Fiber okay. is the issue. Fruits and vegetables happen to be the vehicle by which you get your fiber. Fiber was originally thought of as what goes out in your poop. Mm -hmm. Fiber was originally thought of as what you throw in the garbage after you juice the fruit. Right. Turns out the fiber is not food for you. It's food for your bacteria. Mm -hmm. It's food for your gut microbiome. So like prebiotic <laughs> fiber and like green bananas and things like that. Fiber is a prebiotic. That yeah. is what it is. So it is food for the bacteria in your intestine. And your bacteria in your intestine outnumber you 100 trillion to one. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have 10 trillion cells in your body. You have 100 trillion bacteria in your intestine. Okay. They got to eat something. Okay. Well, they eat what you eat. The question is how much did you get versus how much did they get? And if you eat ultra processed food, you are eating fiberless food. You are depriving your bacteria of their food. You are starving your bacteria. And here's the problem. If you don't feed your bacteria, your bacteria will feed on you. Mm -hmm. They will eat the mucin layer off the intestinal epithelial cell. And in so doing will destroy the barrier that protects you from the sewer that runs through your body. So are you referring to leaky gut? Yes, that is yeah. what leaky gut is. And so when you have leaky gut, all sorts of things that shouldn't enter your bloodstream do. The cytokines, the lipopolysaccharides, the whole bacteria, all of which generate systemic inflammation, all of which drive chronic metabolic disease. 
Yeah. If you kept your mucin layer intact, then the sewer would stay in the sewer and wouldn't enter your bloodstream. And this is such important information. I mean, this is what, in my opinion, should be taught in medical school. Because even myself, and I eat really healthy, you know, I don't eat highly processed food at all. And I've had leaky gut in the past that caused allergies for me. And then I, you know, did my research and realized if I can heal my gut, it can help what I thought were seasonal allergies and food allergies. And literally, when I healed my gut, my allergies went away. And I couldn't believe the association between the allergic reactions and I, that I was having and my gut. And for years, when I would go to the doctor or talk to anybody, they'd be like, oh, we'll try natural antihistamines or, you know, whatever. But it's, it was, and it's probably still rare to find people that are saying, Hey, you should check out your gut. Yeah. Um, your gut is, you know, uh, an essential part of you. You need your gut bacteria because they actually do a lot of the digestion before you do the absorption. You actually need your gut, but you need your gut to be healthy. You need your gut to be diverse. You need all the different species to be represented. You need a healthy gut. And the only way to have a healthy gut is to feed it. And the thing that it wants, the thing that it desires is fiber. But processed food, ultra-processed food is fiberless food. Right. So this is another part of the, you know, problem. It's not the sugar that was put in, it's not the trans fat that was put in, it's what was taken out. Right. And this is why the Nutrition Facts food label is a piece of crap. Yeah. Is because it only tells you what's in the food. It hasn't told you what's been done to the food. So is what you're saying that that's kind of related to like the glycemic index of the food? Well, I don't believe in glycemic index. I believe in glycemic load. Right. Okay. They're not the same. Yep. So glycemic index is how high will your blood glucose spike if you eat 50 grams of carbohydrate in a specific food? Right. Glycemic load is how many grams of food did you have to eat to get the 50 grams? So do you think they should have that on the label of food? Like per serving, this is the glycemic load? That would be good. And there's an easy way... There's an easy way to make any food a low glycemic load food. Eat the real version. That's how you make any food a low glycemic load food. So you're saying like instead of like a dried apple or, or something or apple juice yeah. eating a whole apple. Right. Exactly right. Which I love because when you're doing that, then you're also getting like all of the antioxidants and all of the yeah. other nutrients, minerals and vitamins that are naturally occurring in that food. Exactly right. And that's what I go back to is that, um, you know, food in its natural state is, you know, there's so much um, talk and I'm not against like ketogenic diet or any, like, I think whatever is good for people and works. I know for some people, it's absolutely a game changer, but, um, you know, it's like, if just don't eat all that processed crap and eat real food, you know, I mean, that's just such a simple way to increase your health. And there's obviously other things like exercise and making sure that you, you know, you're mentally in a good place and all of those things. Um, Look, there, there are many things, there are many things that can make you better. Okay. There are eight um, pathologies, eight subcellular pathologies that belie all chronic disease. And in Metabolical, my latest book, I 
you know, list them and I explain all of them. Um, I'll just name them for your audience so that they've heard of them at least. And then we'll get get your book. Right. Number one, glycation. Number two, oxidative stress. Number three, mitochondrial dysfunction. Number four, insulin resistance. Number five, membrane instability. Number six, inflammation. Number seven, methylation. Number eight, autophagy. Now, I don't expect anybody to know what any of those eight things are without doing their own research. The point is, those things that I just mentioned are not ICD-11 codes. Those things are not things doctors talk to their patients about. And the reason they don't talk to their patients about it is because there's no medicine for any of them. Right. But there's food for all of them. Every one of those is not druggable, but they are foodable. But doctors don't know that. They don't even know about those eight because they're not taught them in medical school. I had to learn them afterward. The point is food will fix all of the pathologies. Exercise of the eight that I just mentioned, exercise will fix four of the eight. So exercise is good. I'm not saying it's bad. It's good. Of course it's good. But you can't outrun a bad diet. Right. Mindfulness is good, but it only fix two. Right. So it comes down to diet. You yeah. can't make yourself better if you do not change your diet. It's just that simple. And the thing that's beautiful about that is, you know, it's, you know, having that information is empowering to people to know that they do have the power to do something to change their health status and to lower inflammation or, or even lower their chance of getting a chronic illness or, you know, dealing with a chronic illness. And um, so it's so important that people understand that. And thank you so much for doing all of that work and spreading the message, because obviously, unfortunately, most doctors, like you said, aren't really trained in nutrition and, and don't understand that. And it's, you know, all of these diseases being so chronic and um, increasing year by year in the United States, it feels like it's, you know, the most important information that needs to get out there. And then it seems like there's there's some people that just don't really want to change the way they eat and are just, yes. you know, okay the way they are. And then I guess to those people, it's like there is a choice and they're making that choice. And, um, you know, there's nothing you could do. And then they can go the, well, the sick route. Well, there, no, there is something that can be done. It has to be done at a societal level. Yes. Okay. There's a, there's individual intervention, for lack of a better word, we can call rehab, and there's societal intervention, which, for lack of a better word, we can call laws, rehab and laws, rehab and laws. For every toxic and addictive substance in our environment, we have both rehab and laws: tobacco, alcohol, opioids. We have rehab and laws. Right. For sugar. We have nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad. And and moving on to, um, you know, the kid, I know, obviously, with your background, you, you know, we're treating a lot of children. And I remember we had a conversation previously where you were saying kids actually now are sometimes born obese. Yes. So, I mean, and then it's, that's really passing on, you know, imagine, yeah, the kid didn't have a choice and... Um, I know I was re- I was listening to something where somebody was saying that 
obesity might be even hereditary. And I'm sure it is in some cases, but... um, There's a genetic component. I'm not arguing, but that's not what happened over the last 50 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also going to places, I'm on the board of um, Conscious Kitchen, which is bringing healthy food to inner city schools. And it's interesting to go there once we bring this food and it's like, you know, it's not all salad and fruit. It will be things like, you know, burritos or, uh, you know, even just switching to like from soda to organic whole milk or things like that. And the kids love it. They're so happy, you know, and they feel better and their grades are getting better. And they're actually, they've been studying this, I think it's through USF or UCSF for a while. And it's so interesting to see the changes in um, their testing and their growth levels and how much, you know, changing their diet is affecting these children. Exactly. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. So how many books have you written? And will you name them for our listeners so that they can um, be aware of them? Sure. So um, my first book was 2012 called Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity, and Disease. And that was a New York Times bestseller. That was followed up by a cookbook, the Fat Chance Cookbook, that I wrote with my co-author, who's a chef and educator in the East Bay, Cindy Gershon. The next book was a uh, a book that came out in 2017 about mental health, and that one's called The Hacking of the American Mind, the science behind the corporate takeover of our bodies and brains. And most recently, in 2021, uh, I published Metabolical, The Lure and the Lies of Processed Food Nutrition and Modern Medicine. Amazing. Thank you so much. I, I need to read a couple of those I haven't read yet. Well, I'm so grateful to know you and grateful for all this information you're putting out there. And I just have a couple more questions and then we can um, wrap up. Um, but do you see any hope for the future in changing kind of the sick culture or the sick system related to like big food and big pharma? Is there any wow. hope for change? Uh, it's a complicated web. Um, you know, there are a lot of stakeholders mm-hmm. and um, everyone wants their piece of the pie. It's going to be difficult. I do see a way out. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it is doable. But uh, the, uh, the entities that are in charge are not yet on board. So okay. it's going to be a while. Okay. So for now, people need to continue to be empowered, make healthy decisions. And there are, I mean, there's so many resources out there now. Um, I feel like the information is actually really easy to find, even if you just do a Google search or... One of the big problem uh, sectors in this is the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, the insurance industry made a lot of money when people got sick. Okay. Sick care is really, uh, um, you know, uh, the outgrowth of the insurance industry because, you know, they would cover you or maybe not, but the one thing they would do is raise your rates. Yep. It was the casino model, pay to play and set the rates. They couldn't lose. All right. Fact is that Obamacare, and you can think of whatever you want about Obamacare, and I don't really care whether you think Obamacare is good or not. It did one thing. What? It capped insurance company profits at 15%. Oh, that's great. I didn't know that. So that's the single thing Obamacare did that actually has any teeth. So all of a sudden, 
the insurance industry can't grow past their 15%. So now they can't make money by people being sick. All of a sudden, they need their subscribers to be healthy. That would be great. Well, they don't know how, but I do. Okay. Well, I, I love that. Let me ask a question about that. If you look at the standard of care for, let's say, type 2 diabetes, for example, um, it does diet play a role in the standard of care or is it just um, medication? It, yeah. So up to 2019, the American Diabetes Association said it played no role. Okay. Now they've sort of you know, been read the riot act and they've seen successes, not by them, but by, you know, shall we say the riffraff like Verta health right. a company that promotes the ketogenic diet to reverse type two diabetes with a 77% success rate. And now all of a sudden they're saying, well, maybe you could have a low carb diet, but not everybody should be on a low carb diet. Well, I, don't, I agree. Not everybody should be on a low carb yeah. diet. Not everybody needs a low carb diet. But they're saying it for completely different reasons. Right. Bottom line is, you know, these various large behemoth mammoth entities that, you know, in the medical field, um, they're dinosaurs and they move very slowly. Yeah. Somebody and told me they, recently that the standard of care for like cancer treatment, I have a friend who's a, a medical doctor, and she said that we are like 30 to 50 years behind the advances because the standard of care is moving so slowly. Well, that's been true all the way through. It's not new. Uh, It always takes 25 years from uh, discovery to clinical acceptance. It, you know, there's a number of hoops that have to be jumped through. And to be honest with you, you want those hoops jumped through. Otherwise you end up with, you know, problems like Olestra. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know, you do have to test these things. You have to, you know, test them for safety and you have to test them for do a means test on them too, you know, to make sure that they are actually um, um, cost savings or profitable in some fashion. Right. That, that definitely makes sense. Okay. So I have some last questions for you and these are just short answer questions, but if you need to answer longer, you can, but I'm just curious. (laughs) This is the lightning round. This is a speed round. Um, <laughs> okay. So what are your top three healthiest foods? I already know what one of them is going to be because you told me last time I was with you. You told me I got it wrong. So I know what you're going to say. Oh, <laughs> top three healthiest. I hate, I, you know, I don't know. I don't but know. Just, you know, whatever at the top of your head, like if somebody's eating a really unhealthy diet, they're listening to this podcast. What are like, or you could even say three food groups that would really help them kind of turn it around. Uh, a- anything with fiber. Okay. Okay. And anything that hasn't been uh, macerated to smithereens. Okay. So the, you're saying things like low glycemic, like white flour. Don't eat. White flour is a bad guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you what your top healthy fats are, but we already went through that. We went through um, those already. Okay. Do you drink tap water or filtered water? Tap water. Because I live in San Francisco. There are a lot of people. No, San Francisco got great water. Hetch Hetchy. Okay. And it's cheap or free. Um, And, you know, it doesn't contribute to polycarbonate and plastic uh, pollution. Okay. Um, There's nothing wrong with uh, San Francisco tap water. Now, the rest of the country, it's another story. 
Okay. Best sugar substitute, like let's say we've got like stevia, monk fruit, Splenda, you know, all of those. Are there any that are Dr. Lustig approved? Well, so we don't have the data on all of them yet. Okay. But I've done a full study of this with my colleagues uh, advising a uh, private food company uh, on how to make their processed food healthier. Uh, And the one that we think shows the most promise is allulose. Oh, interesting. Okay. But we are are not there yet. So I'm not ready to commit to that. But it is it is the one that demonstrates the most promise and looks like it has the best biochemical profile. Interesting. Okay. I yeah, I was looking at that. A friend of mine uses that in her baking and she loves it and says it's so good. She anyways, interesting. What is your stance on stevia? It's better than sugar. Okay. That's good. It's not better than water. Okay. Are you, uh, what do you think of, uh, and this doesn't have to be like a super long question, but I am curious, salt, yes or no? And are you like iodized salt, mineral salt? Where's your, what's your stance on salt? Right. So uh, we need iodine. Okay. I don't know if we need uh, iodized salt, but we need iodine. And iodized salt is the way we got iodine to people who didn't have any iodine. So, you know, as an endocrinologist, I know a lot about hypothyroidism due to iodine deficiency. And in other countries, iodine deficiency is a huge problem. And and not in just developing countries. I mean, France has an iodine deficiency problem. Right. Because really, if you're not eating like sea vegetables, right? And or dolls or things like that, or fish, right? You're not getting your iodine. You're not getting from your salt. You know, the place where uh, the U.S. had iodine deficiency back in the 1930s that caused the iodized salt revolution was the Great Lakes area. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, I mean, Wisconsin and Michigan, they were the ones who had all this endemic goiter from lack of iodine. So, you know, you need iodine. The question is, do you need salt? And the answer is your kidney is supposed to be the smartest organ in your body. Mm-hmm. So everyone says It's supposed to be able to excrete all the excess salt that you consume. And it used to be able to. And now it doesn't. Our ancestors, you know, before refrigeration, used to go out into the Atlantic Ocean and fish for six months at a time and get fish. And, you know, they didn't have any ice. So what did they do to keep the fish fresh till it got to market? They packed it in salt. They salt cured it. Okay. Yeah. And so our ancestors were consuming 15 grams of salt a day and they did not have hypertension. Interesting. We are consuming 6.9 grams of salt per day and we have, you know, 50% hypertension. It's interesting. Yeah. How come we cut our salt consumption in half and got double the hyper and got more than double the hypertension? How come? And the reason is because our kidneys used to get rid of the excess. Now they don't. Why? Well, turns out insulin, the hormone insulin, causes the uh, kidney to retain sodium. Mm. So the higher your insulin goes, the less salt you'll excrete, in which case now you've got hypertension. It all goes back to the sugar. Why is the insulin high? The refined carbohydrate and sugar. So, in fact, sugar is a bigger problem for hypertension than salt is. 
Stop the processed sugar, people. Stop, Stop the, sugar. the processed sugar, people. <laughs> okay, my last question. Flora, you promise? I promise. This is last, we've got our, but you have so much good information. So, like, it's, I can keep going and going. Okay, last question. Fluoride toothpaste or non-fluoride toothpaste? Oh, boy. And you can just say which one. You don't even have to get into it. I'm just curious. All right. I am not a dentist. I am agnostic on the issue. Um, fluoride is a benefit in terms of prevention of dental caries. That is true. I don't argue that. Um, but it is not a cure for dental caries. It reduces the incidence and risk of caries by half. So yes, you can reduce caries incidence with fluoride, but a paper came out in JAMA Pediatrics two years ago showing that the maternal excretion of fluoride correlated negatively with the IQ of their babies when their babies grew up. Yeah. We had a meeting here. I live over in Marin County about, you know, people were wanting to take the fluoride out of the water. And they did so, it in Portland. Yeah. And so they just will not do it here. And we had so many people. And um, anyways, it was, I went up with my son and I quoted that study and they were just like, <laughs> they were like, we're putting the fluoride in the water. Cause anyways, that's a long story. We don't have to go into it, but Okay. Thank you so very much for taking the time to speak to me today. You gave us so much great information and thank you for sharing your wisdom and um, we'll all go out and get your books and thanks for being such a leader in the movement and really um, setting the stage for doctors to take more responsibility and look into other things besides what is taught in medical school. You should feel very proud. Medicine is a constant education process. And I remember my very first day of medical school, they told me 50% of what we teach you is wrong. We just don't know which 50%. Yeah. I listened. Interesting. So the science is never really settled. That's why you do research to overthrow the previous generation's dogma. Well, thank you so much for all you do. I really, really appreciate you and appreciate your time. It's my pleasure, Nika. Thank you for joining us at the You Are Love podcast. For more episodes just like this, please subscribe. This is Nika, and I'm wishing you a beautiful day.